when it comes to RevOps, your data is only as good and mature, or it's only as good as your systems and your operations and how mature that is. So I really look at like those two really need, needing to be aligned to increase the speed of your decision making, but also to increase the quality of your decision. You're listening to Go to Market Excellence the show for strategic leaders in B2B who understand the importance of data in accelerating growth. We dissect the innovative tools and data-driven strategies that give forward-thinking leaders an edge in everything from RevOps to customer acquisition. Let's get started. Welcome back to another episode of Go to Market Excellence. I have a guest here today from San Diego. James Lavastida is Chief of Staff Revenue at ClickUp, the business productivity app that is one of the fastest growing companies in the world. James has a deep background in finance and operations, which is serving him well as he plays a central role in helping ClickUp scale globally. James, welcome to the show. Hey, Dan. Thanks for having me on. Super excited and yeah, really excited to talk about growth. And obviously, if you want to save a day a week, uh, sign up for ClickUp. That's right. Yeah. And uh, we're all seeing the billboards all over the country anytime we drive through any major city. So you guys are getting the word out for sure. And obviously, you you were brought on about uh, six months ago or so. And one of the big things that you're focused on is is aligning uh, product and engineering teams with customer success and sales. So, you know, one of the things you told me was that the sooner you can align those functions, the better and healthier business you have. So how are you seeing that play out in the real world at ClickUp today? You're building the plane while it's flying. Uh, you, I think you alluded to it earlier, my background's in finance. So I've always kind of taken a top-down approach to really understanding the key strategic objectives and those quantifiable metrics. And as your company grows and matures, it really just depends on like how quickly those can align. For ClickUp, we went from like 50 to over 650 employees in about a year and a half. We had multiple teams and departments sit up. So ideally, you want to say like, oh, like we'll hire a few executives and a few key leaders and in a couple quarters, it'll align. But in general, like when you get the crazy opportunity to move extremely fast at ClickUp, you just have to have a lot of awareness and kind of keep laser focus on those key objectives. So it's been great. So you talk about moving crazy fast. Have you ever worked at a company? I know you've, you're a, a startup guy for most of your career. Have you ever worked at a company that's not in crazy fast hyper growth? Yeah, probably my first corporate job. It was actually like a... It, well, even then, it was a... It was a company that actually got acquired by AIG. And by then, it was pretty mature. They were doing life insurance. I did corporate accounting there. And then they had just gone under M&A into AIG. And that one wasn't growing as fast. But all the executives and the founders would tell me like, Oh, yeah, we used to have like bar carts. And we used to like throw cash at all our sales reps and everything. This is like in 2010. So I got to come in on the tail end of them like actually being absorbed into a larger company. And then part of my role was actually transitioning a lot of those operations and processes from when they were like, you know, a 400 person company into a larger, much larger, larger org. So for people who might have never worked at a hyper growth company and have just heard the term or read a Reed Hoffman book or something like that, what's it like? Uh, what are the kind of the nuances and the differentiators on a, on a day-to-day basis? Like how would you describe it to somebody who's maybe they've worked in tech or worked in SaaS, but, but maybe it's not the type of environment it's ClickUp? 
I always tell people like, hey, we're building the plane while it's flying. And sometimes there's just going to be turbulence, but I feel pretty good about us landing safely. So it's always going back to like, I know the end goal. I know the end destination. I'm super candid and transparent, but I always tell them, you know, startups, they have to be like naturally chaotic and crazy, but you really have to focus on creating structured chaos. And it's not necessarily what most people mean in terms of like how you work within the teams is actually like more so within yourself. So I'm extremely personally like very regimented. I know like the first two or three hours of the day I completely owned. It puts me in a good like pace and position and just general poise. So that way I can really observe what's going on, see all the big changes and all the big pivots. And instead of being very reactive and adding more to the chaos, I'm able to actually wait, observe and see what what kind of response is needed. So but I mean it's fun if you're transitioning from a larger corporation or a larger tech company into, you know, even like 10, 20, one of the key core values I evaluate for is this concept of being entrepreneurial. So if I, I usually just try to ask like, hey, have you have you ever sold something? Have you ever tried to like build a website, build a blog, like whatever, do e-commerce, do anything really? And just see like how they actually react when it comes to that idea. So even if it's something like, hey, I, you know, like in my sorority, I started like an e-commerce store and got like 10 brands and whatever, like that's super cool to me. And like, it's just the general excitement about ambiguity and discomfort and not knowing all the information. And then I typically probe for like, are they perfectionists? One of my core values is like 80% for 10x. So (laughs) I'm not looking for perfection. In fact, like we grow so fast, what perfection looks like three or six months ago is probably going to be radically different. So that 10x part is really important because it really says like, hey, if we're going to do a initiative like i don't want it to be perfect but the end goal should be able to drive high high results right what's an example that might come to mind of that for example if you're really trying to scale velocity on on your your acquisition teams and you know you're just starting up maybe you're selling your vp of sales and you're selling you know your current team's doing 100 customers a month and you need to get to 250 what are the different things you're looking at are you looking at demand gen the number of reps and then sales cycle you might bring in someone in revops to help out build those things but really it's like hey you don't need everything to be perfect maybe you get like your marketing or your your campaigns dialed in and you just kind of throw stuff at the wall for about a month you're not going to spend time analyzing it, doing a complete like recommendation and waiting for other stakeholders. You're going to ask like, okay, here's what I did over a month. By month two, like we saw good growth in these areas. We're going to hyper-focus on that. It may fail or it may do great. And by month three, we should be able to hit 250. And so that's like a pretty like decent way I think about, you know, observing something, putting in changes, betting on those changes in month two, refining them throughout month two, and then really like going for it in month three. So so James, going back to the question I asked about alignment between product, customer success, and sales, I think you said this to me last time we talked, but you're seeing the best go-to-market leaders. You're seeing them become best friends with data and RevOps and also working closely with CX and product. Let's break those two things apart. Let's start with the becoming best friends with data and RevOps. Describe what that relationship looks like at a, at a really high performing, for really high performing go to market leaders. 
It depends really on stage. So I'm really big on stage awareness. So like we'll use a Series A company, for example. I would assume most audiences are going to be like Series A, Series B players, if not Series C. Yeah, really, when you're in these startup phases, like nothing is actually completely there. Like you're building the plane while it's flying. It's really important as any organization, especially as a leader, to be very data-driven in your decision-making. If you're good with data, then you feel more confident and are able to move with more conviction when you're actually running execution. And you are taking big bets. You are taking big bets, right? Like that's, you know, most startup leaders are, they have a higher risk tolerance for sure. When it comes to RevOps, your data is only as good and mature, or it's only as good as your systems and your operations and how mature that is. So I really look at like those two really needing to be aligned to increase the speed of your decision making, but also to increase the quality of your decisions, right? Like the thing is, it's, it's normal to fail and I'd rather fail faster and be confident about the data that we looked at. Um, really look at like our initial hypothesis or experiments and then again, continue to move forward. No one's expecting you to get everything right the first month, the first two months, the first three months, but by six months, like you should have a pretty good understanding about the bets that you're willing to take at least through that, that stage of growth that you're assigned to, right? In terms of product, I mean, like what does go to market really mean? It's like you're bringing a product to market, right? So it's really important to know like what exactly is product working on? Why are they, what are they prioritizing? How can go-to-market teams actually communicate to product and engineering what the market is actually telling them that you know w- would be a value? But concurrently, like if there is misalignment between sales and support, which usually happens, is normal for like early stage company. Like you're growing, you need to hit revenue targets, you need to build your product, you need to build your platform. Product immaturity is a really normal thing. And I think once everyone becomes more intellectually and emotionally honest about that, it reduces a lot of like personal friction. So usually support and success, they have to deal with the tailwinds of maybe misset expectations. And if support can give that feedback to product, product can actually like iterate and improve it versus just like QAing and fixing bugs. But if you can really align all three of those teams really well together, you can like product and engineering can ultimately prioritize like, hey, I know these are bugs and I know they're not, you know, perfect, but it sounds like if we prioritize this feature, at least from what the salespeople are saying, you know, we'll be able to actually acquire more customers. We'll get deeper insights into how the customer can expand their value on the platform. So yeah, so you brought up uh, getting feedback from sales. Let's dig into that for a second. Actually, there's a lot I want to dig into there. So the first one is, so you, the product team trusts the sales team? I think most product engineers, and again, especially if your company culture values builders and entrepreneurs, or that entrepreneurial mentality, they want to feel like they're building something that's meaningful. Obviously, if they're spending time building, they're getting requirements, they're actually introducing new tech, new features, they're setting up infrastructure. They don't want to feel like they're building and it's, you know, going away astray. Like the reality is like every single high growth stage startup, they're held to very strong performance targets. And if, you know, whenever, if you miss your performance target, which is sometimes normal, most likely like sales will say like, oh, well, we didn't have enough marketing or, oh, well, the product is immature. So again, it's just, a pre- it's just the foresight of like really trying to align things very well. 
And it, it, it's actually good sales enablement. Like when you have a good understanding of the roadmap, you have more confidence and conviction to actually communicate to your customers, either through marketing enablement, or if you have like customer facing reps, they can communicate like, Hey, you know, that that's a feature request that we actually get a lot last, last month during our all hands or our product all hands. We actually talked about prioritizing X, Y, and Z into the roadmap. So, you know, what we can do is, you know, tear out your pricing after 90 days during your implementation and onboarding time. And if, you know, if we're able to, we feel confident about, about this feature release. In fact, like it should come out in 60 days. We'd love to have you as part of the beta and actually help QA these new features. I mean, sales comes into play all the time. So ClickUp actually started first with a product and engineering internal tool. And then they were extremely support. Like it was all product engineering operations and support. So, you know, actually like for ClickUp, our PLG model is a lot of support and community. So we use a tool where within the product experience itself, our customers can actually give feedback. And the CEO, Zeb, CEO and founder Zeb would actually read all of those requests and they would ship features like really, really quick. Like the product, the head of product strategy would help ship those features like on a weekly basis, which is insane. So I think that's a lot that definitely helped drive a ton of growth. When your customers feel like, you know, they're free to give feedback and that you're able to release those features, it does give us a better sense of community, which you know, we haven't exactly like quantified the viral coefficients to a degree, but it's definitely a lot for sure. What I'm trying to get at is that you you get you have product led motion, but product is looking for feedback from not only the sales force, but they also get feedback from the community, obviously. So feedback in community, but also feedback from sales. I'm trying to understand where sales comes into play in the process of turning people into customers, and then. And then how do you actually measure the feedback from sales? Because a lot of times, you know, it's latest, last customer call syndrome instead of really thoughtful product roadmap based on data from customers. So for instance, a lot of customers, a lot of companies are using Gong to get product feedback on from sales calls and then feeding it to the product team. And they're actually making product roadmap prioritization based on that. Do you guys do that? How do you use data to kind of like prioritize the roadmap? We don't currently do that right now. Again, we're rapidly growing. I think it really depends on what unit economic you're trying to improve on. So at my last company, we did do that exact same thing. We had a pretty strong direct sales team, pretty large team. And yeah, we would do exactly that. In that instance, we were looking to expand usage and net dollar retention. So our product teams would actually... We would keyword and query based on... For us, it was a fintech product and feature... And then we would get a lot of insight from what the sales team was saying, what the customers were responding with. So that directionality. Then we'd also look at like the onboarding team. And from there, because we knew we were expanding on net dollar retention or we wanted to like increase that unit economic, that's where we would actually prioritize a lot of our product feedback. So it all comes back to what you said a few minutes ago is being data-driven and enabling um, quality decisions and rapid decisions. So let's Let's, uh, let's do that for a couple minutes. I'm sure you've been part of putting in the data infrastructure at, at ClickUp to help you guys scale, also scale um, globally. What specifically did that look like or what have you been a part of that you can speak to about the infrastructure you put in place 
to be able to make rapid decisions and enable leadership to make confident decisions too. I really do think for if you really want to be a product-led company, you have to value data. There's a lot of articles talking about like really, really valuing product data specifically. So I would definitely recommend any kind of event tracking tool. So a CDP. So Segment has a really good startup program. You can literally instrument and collect and stream event data with Segment. Their startup program, if you apply, it's very like startup and founder friendly. That's what we're using. We're using a CDP. And because we have we have millions of users and we're intentionally horizontal and we have users and accounts all over the world. What a CDP allows us to do is actually like hyper segment based on verticals or other firmographic data, but also based on like user behaviors. So maybe a set of user behaviors. For us, one of the things that we really excel at is this idea of like multiplayer mode and what multiplayer mode versus single player mode is say I sign up, you know, maybe I'm the head of operations for Dan's go-to-market excellence company, and there's five other people. I sign up for ClickUp. I start a project saying like, hey, like I want to do a podcast. I get four of my employees on there. I can create a task. And with ClickUp, you can actually you can comment, you can like, you can comment, turn that to a task, and then you can emoji reaction to it. So you can react to it. So it's this idea of like really getting a lot of like players involved. And so that's an example of a use case. If I were to add more definition to that, I would say like, hey, I want to see what kind of users follow that same pattern. And is there any general trend? Like, do they do this in the first seven or 10 days? And then how do I optimize my experiments and my user experience from there? If it takes too long to actually change the user experience, that's when I would actually go to sales and say like, hey, I want to introduce a BDR you know, here at day two or day three to basically augment it, right? So, and then again, like if I'm looking to improve like usage after, maybe I start to notice that like an account really expands very well in the first 60 days, but in general, like it's relatively flat. What other experiments can I run to actually see what would drive any kind of more organic growth from 61 through 90? The CDP allows you to do that. So, And you have to connect it with BI tool to be able to answer those questions or do you do it right within segment? You can do it with a BI tool. So, How do you do it? Uh, yeah. So uh, you can send it to any destination. So you can send it to a data warehouse. You can even pipeline that data into like, your CRM. So I focus a lot on providing like thought leadership around like, hey, if you are trying to be PLG and you're like extremely like, you know, you need to be where, uh, cognizant of your costs. It's like most companies like Zapier, it's really cost effective to start. I know HubSpot, like it's extremely friendly to start as both marketing automation and CRM. Hopefully you can send all that product data into something like a HubSpot. You definitely could do that. And then HubSpot has its own, like it has a really good like reporting and uh, analytics dashboard. There are ways you can send it to like Google Sheet or, you know, your database. And from there, you can query over your database with like a, uh, like a Tableau or a Grow. Or if you send it to Google Sheets, um, there are Google, I think it's Google Analytics or something. Not Google Analytics. It's a Google uh, Data Studio, I think. Data Studio. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it really depends. Yes. So what is, uh, so you guys have to make rapid decisions. You guys are growing like crazy. So I'm just, I'd love to know who owns BI or data, data analytics inside of ClickUp and like 
what does that function look like? Because you're talking about a lot of product data from thousands, million, millions of users. Are we talking about millions of users now? Yeah, we're definitely talking about millions of users. Yeah, millions of users. And then you've also got customer acquisition data that's flowing through your automation platforms and CRM. So, Yes, the way ClickUp organizes it, it's because we are such a product-led first platform and we really drive our growth through the product experience. We have a data and analytics org who sits structurally separate from like engineering and definitely growth and definitely structurally different than RevOps. There's a lot from data pipelines to data warehousing to data modeling. There are even tools that have like warehouse first actions that actually send model data into another like destination like a CRM or maybe any other maybe any other destination like I don't know like an ERP that might have a custom fields. So that's separate, but they they should be working in conjunction for sure with engineering. There's, you know, if there's something wrong within the product, which always happens, there's bugs, they should be aware of how that should impact the quality of the data, right? And especially if new tables are being built for new features, they should have a good awareness on how that data is being stored and what to query off of. So that's one. RevOps sits as a function in the revenue org and then growth. Again, because because we are so focused on high growth and experimentation, our thought constructs are not necessarily centered around stability, whereas like analytics should, right? It's very infrastructure based. It's very stability based. You need to like mature and stabilize your data and those tables. We're definitely more like focused on infrastructure that again, allows for rapid real-time experimentation. Yeah. Like what? Like, I guess tools that we're looking at are like launched darkly, anything for feature flagging, amplitude. A lot of teams will use Mixpanel. Some companies for like improving onboarding and activation would look at like AppQs or user pilot or something like Pendo. And then CDP is usually at the heart of everything. So is there a, um, is there like a weekly management meeting where you all look at the, kind of with like a dashboard or a uh, cockpit view of everything going on and, and you identify, you know, based on how your KPIs are performing, where you need to put your attention. How does it, how do those meetings go? Yeah. So in general, ClickUp, we're an extremely data-driven and transparent culture. So every single week during our all hands, uh, we actually present, we have our functional leaders present all their KPIs and their progress and what's going on. In terms of like actually measuring and reporting data for improvement and what that looks like uh, between cross-functional leaders and managers, Again, I'll go back to like product adoption or as an example, it really depends on frequency, right? I actually talked about this with a few RevOps leaders yesterday. For us, it's like if I'm looking at improving the LTV or the usage past the first 60 days, I'll probably want to come up with an experiment that's a little bit more long-term, introduce, write down our hypothesis, write down our baseline, write down our goal and really review and measure that over you know a couple months but i'm not going to be meeting on it like every single week right i need time for those experiments to actually play out and i need i need to see if you know like does the growth and the expansion happen you know from day 61 through 75 from 75 through 90 from 91 to 115 that's just one example if I was trying to improve like the number of weekly active users, I'd probably look at like I'd probably be looking at this on a weekly. So it, it depends on the frequency of the metric that you're using. 
sales. Again, if you have a if your current sales cycle is about 45 days, you'll probably want to like meet twice a month just to improve and try to get it down to weekly. For my last company, our sales cycle was around 7 to 10 days. So we definitely met up on it like every single week. We we're high velocity, pretty transactional. So it was easy for us to like measure a few bottoms up metrics and really rapidly improve it on a weekly basis. So again, depends on the frequency of the measurement you're evaluating. It strikes me that the data that you're looking at, the problems you're trying to solve are quite a bit different from a lot of the guests that we have on the show, which are working at maybe enterprise, very sales-led organizations or companies where they're trying to get people to sign up for demo and then sales takes them through the demo to close. And, you know, RevOps is focused so much on, you know, our salespeople putting in the right data or are the marketing campaigns set up to capture everything properly. And I'm sure that there's some of that that, that goes on at ClickUp, but it sounds like you're more focused on you know, after the initial conversion, after they sign up for a trial or a free account? And how do you turn those people into... Uh, paid and expanding, yeah. Yeah, paid, paid to expand. Yeah, I think it, again, it really just depends on like your model. Like, again, I'm always like pretty quantitatively bench. Like I like to benchmark against like really good, generally accepted quantitative metrics. And so again, if like you're in the mid-market enterprise and your ACV is like, 10 or 15,000 to 50,000 and the sales cycle is about 6 months. You're probably not going to do that. Your that process can be multi-touch, multi-stakeholder. You really do need to start to look at like how is marketing actually getting the attention from maybe you employ like a kind of a hybrid cha- champion and challenger. And so like what's marketing doing or enablement or product marketing doing to like maybe get an IT owner to buy in and how do you actually like equip them with the right maybe white papers or video content to make whoever your champion is a little bit more successful in getting their buy-in from like IT or security or even just like IT implementation or even like, you know, more senior executive leadership. Sometimes with a newer technology, being able to refer to like professional services is a really great way to get buy-in and professional services might step in at like month three or month four. But again, I'm there. I'm looking again at like, what is the size of the contract and what is like your generally accepted sales cycle for that contract there you probably are not going to take a completely bottoms up approach that can that can and should be automated but if you know you're a plg company and you can have a pretty like fast like onboarding activation journey definitely like on a bottoms up product led adoption based approach so so I'm super curious. I've had a lot of I've talked to a lot of CRO, chief revenue officers, had a lot of heads of RevOps on uh, Go to Market Excellence, but you're the first person with the title chief of staff revenue. So uh, I'm just curious, like, what does a week in the, the life of James look like as chief of staff revenue? What kind of challenges are you tackling on a daily, weekly basis? And I guess yeah, kind of describe why your role is critical, and maybe maybe because maybe there's other companies that could really use a, a chief of staff on their team? Great question. I mean, uh, chief of staff roles are like kind of intentionally ambiguous and it's typically designed to give eyes and ears to the revenue org on, you know, key areas and projects or objectives that typically like they can't focus on, but they need that information, right? And they need things to be aligned. So it's very common for them to 
take on like very special projects again because of like my background in it finance and strategy like some of the first things i was doing was like scaling out our accounting and finance and strategy teams we are rapidly scaling our go-to-market organizations but in order to both maintain our current rate of growth with our plg model as well as support like a more enterprise uh, motion we needed to do cdp and for that like I needed to start working a lot closer with professional services, product, and the engineering orgs. Things that, you know, like, again, if you're really trying to align the revenue org with product and a great customer experience, that's a good affordability to the revenue org, right? Like, you, you have a good advocate in that sense. Most COSs are, like, very, they very much embrace, like, kind of like a, a servant leadership approach. So they really like to do things and really like to help on a wide array of projects. So good depth and good breadth. But again, I think they're very project focused. So usually when I come in or before I came in, I really wanted to make sure to focus on what were the three or four main objectives that we needed to complete in a couple quarters. And if we can get an agreement there, that would drive us to like our end goal in six months. Will I have really the autonomy to like get after it, right? So I'm I do that. So if we're saying like we want X, Y, and Z in three months or six quarters, I make sure to be very focused on that. HubSpot strategic planning process was like an M spot with the O being omissions. I think that's super critical. Like, yeah, it's very natural for a high growing startup to kind of have a lot of energy that can boil the ocean, but you really got to avoid boiling the ocean and like really say like, hey, these are what's important. These are the plays. These are the metrics that we're going to evaluate things on. But these are the things that we're going to omit. So I was really good about like omitting. So I, I think it depends. Like COSs, like they can shadow all the functional leaders in meetings with you know whoever their principal is, and then that person can be the de facto decision maker if the principal is not available. In this instance, I was able to start to kind of bridge that chasm while we were building out the go to market org to product CX and engineering, right? And go to market. So I'm actually like operate fairly autonomously, which I kind of like. I'm definitely more of like a entrepreneur. So that autonomy and space was very, very important to me. But we we have consistent, like very high strategic feedbacks. And I'm always like, I'm always communicated like, hey, like I encountered X, Y, and Z here. I might not have insight to another concurrent project here. Can you help me remove this blocker dependency? What would you say are the top two or three things that a you report to the CRO, I'm guessing, Chief Revenue Officer? Uh, head of Global Revenue. Okay. So if you're, gonna, if you're advising another CRO or head of revenue or head of growth, and, and they're trying to hire a chief of staff for their team to help them do similar things to, that you're doing, tackle different challenges, uh, help bridge cross-functional teams, what are the top two or three skills that are must-haves? non-negotiable that that you would advise them to uh, look for when they're hiring that person? I'll go persona more so. I'll say like a good head of RevOps or VP of RevOps for sure. I think that's one of the more like emerging trends I saw within the community. It's like, what is the future of a VP of RevOps? Are they going to be the CRO? Blah, blah, blah. Should there be like a chief revenue operations officer? I think the intent there was that they were trying to get a little bit more buy-in on the decision-making process over strategic objectives. And so if I was a CRO and I was looking for a COS for me, a RevOps typically encompasses a lot of 
very good with process and documentation, general good program management. They should be extremely data-driven and they should be people person. So the ability to actually work with cross-functional leaders, people person for definitely for communication and really having that tactical empathy. I think that's probably the key. That would be the key kind of person I would be looking for. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense. And do you do you work a lot with the RevOps team at ClickUp? I wish. Truthfully, again, with the nature of CDP, it's very like engineering and data focused and oriented. So I do work with the RevOps stakeholders in terms of like, hey, like how can we manage a new, like a new procurement intake process to make sure our systems are aligned with our CDP and data efforts. But my background prior to this was like RevOps revenue operations and strategic operations. So I have a lot of tactical empathy for the community. Yeah, you mentioned your background. So I want to ask you something about your experience. I believe it was GhostSite and you were involved in putting a gamification program in place that really helped accelerate sales. I don't know of anyone who has uh, done that successfully. So I'd love to hear about it. Like I said, we're we're a fun, like high velocity transactional sales model, pretty similar outbound model that the Yelp and Groupon teams would employ. We really believed in... Me personally, I believe in a bo- like going top down to set your strategic objectives, but building bottoms up almost with anything I do. We took a bottoms up approach to like leadership and management development. We actually really prefer to have most of our managers be developed within our initial employees. So we were like, okay, like if you're going to be an SDR, you can promote into like an AE after like you know, X amount of months of quota attainment. If you want to be a team lead as an AE, you need to do like two or three consecutive like buddy systems, which is like not a formal role or anything over three months, yada, yada, yada. It was a very bottoms up approach to hierarchy and design. But we had a motto that was uh, managed by numbers and lead with emotion. So we would definitely like gamify. (laughs) We would gamify the entire experience. I would actually use it more so in terms of experimentation. That company was SMB and intentionally horizontal. So I would run experiments and seeing like, hey, can we increase the velocity in this industry or this territory faster? And like, what can we do? Can we like pod up SDRs and AEs in this territory or this particular vertical? We were always good about giving, like training our teams to think about their bottoms up metrics, really gamifying like leaderboards, even if it was in Google Sheets. We wrote Slack commands and automations that really like drove this awareness over like, recognition, but healthy competition for sure. So anytime a team or a pair would do X, Y, and Z, that would get highlighted. You know, the entire company would support it. And definitely as we got a little bit more involved with like other gamification technologies, bonusly was a big thing for me. Like we wrote automations out of like our CRM whenever they completed X X amount of like deal stage or milestone, automate that bonusly transaction. Like uh, incentivizing people before the sale actually closes? No, afterwards too. And and you can do that too, right? Like you can definitely do that too. Sometimes we would do that. Again, we were like pretty transactional. So sometimes we would add pods and say like, okay, if this team can get to 150 units first, they would get X, Y, Z or 150 accounts first, they would do X, Y, and Z. There are other platforms that we use called like Sales Screen that actually like did that entire thing too. It integrated with your CRM and integrated with like whatever benefits and perks program you use. Again, I think it was like bonusly. So you could actually see like almost like, you know, those little like casino games like move around. But at some times we were thinking like, you no, know, could we build this ourselves? Could we like build this in BigQuery, write a few, like write a few automations and maybe wrap it around retool. But, you know, it was 
at that point, we were maturing where it was probably a little too dangerous to start to build when we really need to optimize. So, no, I mean, it, it's super fun. Like, especially when we went remote, especially when we went remote, like, it's very difficult to reproduce that kind of intangible energy that you get from being on like a really high buzzing sales floor. Like, the buzz of a sales floor is like just one of those energetic feelings you can't describe doesn't work in the second bedroom yeah <laughs> no no it, but but you know what it feels like right so we did try to do the most like reproduce all of those components right in a systematic and automated way and visual way is there a stage you think i know you're very stage aware is there a stage you think that works really well and a stage where it kind of like loses its influence or can it work anywhere if it's done right i think i mean like we definitely started doing that like from series c series C all the way through like our series B. I think, it, I mean, it, it depends, right? Like sometimes like someone might come in to do that for change management at a later stage company because they notice like, you know, their sales culture just isn't that strong. But again, it was always like managed by numbers, lead with emotions. It wasn't like micromanagement. It was really just giving a blueprint and communicating very clearly and quantitatively like, hey, this is what we think success looks like. And we are going to be like extremely tactically empathetic on helping you get there, right? All right. So last question for you, James. I will ask all my guests that come on the show. And I get a bunch of different answers from CEO to CFO to CRO, et cetera. Who should RevOps roll up to? I think CEO. CEO? Yeah, for sure. I think so. Especially as things like start to mature a little bit more. OpenView released an article on like why the growth org should be a completely separate org and report directly into the CEO. I think it's pretty similar to RevOps. In order for RevOps to be very, very successful, they need to be very acutely aware of what's going on with data, what's going on with product. They need to have their roadmap and their priorities protected. A lot of times when push comes to shove, short-term revenue gains that often are the detriment to, you know, the LTV or overall customer experience sometimes get prioritized. I do see RevOps as being that nice, extremely disciplined, connective tissue that really orchestrates a lot of that, like, kind of central nervous system for the business. Yeah, I love that. And I, I love that take of the, about the CEO, because I actually think that a lot of RevOps leaders are going to, are actually, that's a new path to the CEO, because they have to work with sales, marketing, CS support. My team was responsible for for like CX, like any CX implementation, like understanding like, hey, how should we coalesce like intercom with Zendesk? Oh yeah, it was always like my team doing that. And so eventually like most RevOps leaders are brought in to help optimize acquisition. But as they mature, like their functions and teams definitely like go down the customer journey. So we really started to think more in terms of in terms of growth loops. Versus your tr- traditional top, you know, top-down revenue funnel. You just gonna leave the end the episode with that? I'm just kidding. You, you can't. You, what, what is that? What What do you mean by that? And and uh, the growth loops versus uh, top-down funnel. What, what were you referring to there? Yeah. So growth loop really like again, you're trying to optimize for acquisition, activation, and onboarding, but hopefully at the end of the, your loop, you're trying to give that feedback back to your acquisition teams, right? 
So whatever makes the customer the most successful from a product or even a customer experience standpoint, ideally with a customer experience, you should be able to productize that, but you do want to reinsert that, those learnings back into your acquisition. So if we found out that, you know, our customers who onboarded successfully after the sale, you know, in seven days, they were going to expand and adopt and retain like 40% more. Maybe you want to actually introduce a portion of the onboarding into your product and into your sales process, right? So it is about this more iterative loop. It's a growth loop where you're really putting the product and customer experience first versus your traditional funnel where, again, maybe, yeah, marketing is optimizing for leads, opportunities, MQLs. There's an SLA to pass it off for SQL. You know, the sales rep, like, Maybe they need to hit quota attainment and they need to optimize on sales cycles. So they're doing whatever they can. And that's what it looks like. And it kind of stops there. But what happens on the post sales effect, right? Like, so that's, I think, where like that funnel is a little bit short sighted. Hot take, but and probably won't get a lot of fans out of that. But that's my thoughts. I think there's, you know, the sales led organizations and more enterprise are, are trying to solve for that and bring in CS earlier in the larger deals. You know, they're bringing them in before this deal closes, but not enough people are doing that. It's, there's still too many marketing organizations that are just, you know, get it to the next stage in the funnel and, and move on. And, and I think that attitude of getting feedback post sale and, and then applying it is, it's super critical and obviously it's something that you can do when you have a ton of data and a ton of customers coming through like you guys do at ClickUp. Okay, James. Well, really glad you came on the show. It's been a great conversation. Thanks for stopping by and uh, best of luck as you continue to uh, try to grow the grow the organization at ClickUp. And, global uh, domination. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Global domination. Who, who, are you, who do you guys have your sites set on like to take down? Is it Asana at the top of the list? Uh, you, you can... The audience can just watch some of our ClickUp commercials. We're pretty good about that. Yeah. I saw some of those the back to work ones. Yeah. I don't like friction, which is why I uh, obsessively focus on uh, user experience. So I like everyone to like me. So I won't personally say anything. <laughs> I gotcha. Well, um, keep up the great work and thanks for coming on. We'll catch up with you down the road. Thanks, Dan. Happy weekend. At Scale Matters, we believe people make better decisions with better information, not blindly following their gut. That's why we started this podcast. And that's why we offer go-to market analytics that provide high quality data and unbiased insights that strategic B2B revenue leaders can use to make their best decisions. If you want to check it out, go to www.scalematters.com. You've been listening to Go To Market Excellence. If you find what you've just heard valuable, then be sure to subscribe in your favorite podcast player so you never miss an episode. Until next time, stay excellent. Stay excellent.